Dallas. Um, Well, we're going to turn to the Bible now. We're going to turn to John chapter 9. And two weeks ago, we saw Jesus encounter this blind man and miraculously heal him. It was a slightly odd miracle. I don't know if you remember. Um, This man had been blind from birth. It was a desperate situation. But Jesus made mud, put it on his eyes, and then sent him to go and wash. And the man went and washed, and he came home seeing But in John's gospel, when he tells us a miracle, it's never just a miracle for the sake of a miracle. It's a sign that's supposed to point us somewhere. So we always need to pay close attention to what happens straight after the miracles in John. So let's listen to what happened next. And then we're going to seek to understand it together um, as we look at God's word. So let me read from verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, 
He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask that God would help us. Father, please help us now by your Spirit. Please would you wake us up so that we can hear your word. Please would you soften our hearts so we can receive your word. And please would you then enable us to live, to obey what we hear. Lord, please speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's difficult to get very far in John's gospel without coming across the concept of belief. It is one of John's major themes. In fact, he's very upfront. He tells us he wrote his gospel so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what John's gospel is all about. It's about belief. And that's what John chapter 9 is all about. It is a story of belief. And a particular picture, an idea that John uses in this chapter of his gospel, is the idea of your eyes being opened. To believe in Jesus is to have your eyes opened. To go from being blind to being able to see. And Jesus said that's what he came into the world to do. And it's not just John. This idea is big right the way through the Bible. The idea of darkness and light, blindness and sight. So look, we're coming up to Christmas. And at some point over Christmas, you'll hear those words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has That was written 700 years before Jesus by a man called Isaiah. And Isaiah was speaking of one who would come to bring light to a world in darkness, to bring sight to those who were blind. Isaiah spoke of this one who would come, that he would open the eyes of the blind. This is what God promised was going to happen. Someone's coming who will bring light and understanding to a world in darkness. And then John tells us that Jesus comes. And John starts his gospel by saying, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Here is Jesus, the light of the world, and to believe in him means to see him as the light and to turn from the darkness of sin and death, to turn from the darkness of ignorance, of being away from God, and to come to Jesus and to see him, to believe in him and find life and light in his name. That's what's happening in John chapter 9. And I want you to picture that like a road, a road from blindness to sight. We're going to call it, unbel- we're going to call it Belief Road. It's not a particularly snappy name, but it's the best I could come up with. Belief Road. And we're going to follow the story of this man as he walks along this road of belief. 
You see, it's, it's true to say that believing in Jesus is a kind of binary thing. You either believe in him or you don't. There is a moment at which you believe. But it's also true to say that there is a process going on. We're going to watch this man come to believe in Jesus. That's exciting. We're going to watch him walk this road and trace it through. But that isn't the only road in John chapter 9. There's a second road. And the second road we see is a very different road. The second road we're going to watch is the road of unbelief, which I've unsurprisingly called unbelief road. And these two roads both exist in John chapter 9. Jesus sums it up in verse 39 at the end of our reading. Did did you hear it? Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. There are two roads. And Jesus, when he says, I've come to bring, I've come for judgment, it's weird because in other places in John, he says, I've not come to judge the world. So what does he mean? Well, what he means is he hasn't come to condemn. He hasn't come to bring final judgment, but he has come to bring a crisis point. The Greek word for judgment is the word crisis. And everybody who meets Jesus, I want you to get this, all right? Everybody who meets Jesus faces a crisis point. And before them, there are two roads which they must then choose which road they will walk. They either walk the road of belief or they walk the road of unbelief. So as you sit listening to this this afternoon, we're going to meet Jesus, we're going to encounter Jesus and it will change your life because you will find yourself having to make a choice about whether you will believe or whether you will not believe. You have to walk one of those roads. This is what makes Jesus so extraordinary. You can't meet him and stay neutral. He forces us to make a decision. He says things that force us to choose. Will we believe or will we refuse? We're going to see those two roads. I want to set those two roads out before you through this story of John's gospel. And I hope that we'll see that to believe in Jesus is the most wonderful and most beautiful experience that you could ever know. But I want to start with Unbelief Road. And we're going to watch as a group of people choose to not believe in Jesus. And I I want to follow through four stages that they go through. So we're going to go just through the text once, then we're going to go through it again. We're going to pick out these two roads. And the first group we're going to think about is these, this group called the Pharisees. That's the religious leaders of the day. And we're told in verse 13 that they, presumably that's the crowd, this, they've got this man who's been healed, they brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been blind. Now, why do they take him to the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees is quite an obvious place to go. I mean, they are the influencers of the day. right? They're the opinion makers. They're the ones who what they say matters. And so they bring this man to basically say, what do you make of this, Pharisees? What are we supposed to do with this thing that's happened? And and the Pharisees face this rather awkward and difficult situation. And the first stage I want to show you in this road of unbelief is the idea of being unsettled. 
Unbelief starts with an unsettling feeling. Verse 14 says, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. (laughs) Now, you almost get this sense, don't you? It's kind of like, of course it was. (laughs) Because that seems to be what Jesus does. He's already done this. Back in chapter 5, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And it seems to be that Jesus deliberately heals on the Sabbath in order to unsettle and to provoke those who would be against him. You see, the Pharisees have kind of got this system. They've got this way of living. They've got this system of rules. They they know what they're doing. And you, you keep the rules and everything's okay. They have their authority and they quite like their position of power. And so they just want people to toe the line. Don't upset things. Just do what we say and everything's going to be fine. And then along comes this man, Jesus who seems to deliberately be doing things to unsettle them, deliberately subverting what they think, the way they want to do life. He made mud on the Sabbath. They probably had a law against making stuff on the Sabbath, and now he's broken that. And then he put it on the man's eyes, and he healed this man, and you shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. And so they say to this man, Uh, how did you receive your sight? He says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. The man has said this quite a few times already. Look, this is not difficult. This is what happened. But now look at the way the Pharisees are struggling with this. What I want you to notice is the absolute absence of joy. (laughs) The absence of any sense of, wow, you can see. This is wonderful. I want you to notice any absence of a smile. Actually, all they are is unsettled. It churns them up. They find this Jesus. He doesn't fit into their categories. He doesn't behave the way they want him to behave. In fact, he seems to be subverting everything. And now they're struggling. But they're not sure what to make of it. Verse 16, some of them say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This is how their logic works. Everyone who loves God keeps the Sabbath. This man doesn't keep the Sabbath. This man doesn't love God. That's how it works. So they write him off and they say, well, that's, he doesn't fit in our system. But the other, there's another group and their logic works somewhat, something different. They say, how can a sinner perform such signs? Their logic goes, only God can open the blind eyes. This man opened blind eyes. This man might be from God. <laughs> And so now they're wrestling with this, but they can't get Jesus to fit in their box. And they keep asking this man, well, who do you think he is? And the man says, well, perhaps he's a prophet. And you know what? When Jesus comes into your life, when Jesus confronts you, it is an unsettling experience. Jesus doesn't just come along and do what you want him to do. Jesus doesn't come along and just say what you want him to say. He doesn't come to affirm you and to tell you how wonderful you are. Actually, Jesus comes to unsettle us. Because by nature, these Pharisees, and just like us, we are living in darkness. We've made a system where we've placed ourselves in charge, where we've made ourselves the center We've got our little rules. They had their rules. We've got our little rules, right? We've got the things that we think are socially acceptable. We've got the way we want to do life. And then here comes Jesus, and he confronts that. 
Perhaps you've experienced that. Perhaps you find Jesus to be unsettling. Well, let's follow on this unbelief road, because if you can see that in you, I I want you to see where that can lead. You see, what happens next? They go from unsettling to wriggling. I mean, not not literally. I I thought it was quite a fun word. Um, But what they do in the next bit is they try to find a way to avoid this difficult situation. So verse 18 tells us explicitly, they still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. In other words, they're basically saying, look, perhaps there's a way out of this. Perhaps this is a mistaken identity. I just don't think this man was ever blind. And if he was never blind, that's fine. We can write Jesus off as a kind of hoax, and we can just go back to our lives. And they're wriggling. They're desperately trying to find a way to avoid the obvious conclusion that this man has done something extraordinary. So they wriggle and wriggle and wriggle. And so they call in... um, his parents. And they say, is, your, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? This is like a bang, bang, bang trial. These parents are kind of like completely all over the place. And they say, well, we know he's our son. We know he's born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. And you can see that already... this unbelief road is influencing other people. People are scared of this group who hold this power. They've already decided what they think of Jesus. They're trying to find a way to wriggle out of it. They're trying to find a way to deny what is obviously true. But they can't. Because they've got these parents standing there going, yeah, he really is our son, and he was born blind, And he really can now see. I know that's awkward, but there's no way to wriggle out of it. But we see this all the time with Jesus. People who want to refuse to believe in him, people who've been unsettled by him, will wriggle to try and make him not what he obviously is. People will deny his historicity. People will deny his resurrection. People will deny his miracles. People will deny the Bible is the word of God. People will deny and wriggle and try and find any way out of it. And yet this Jesus is who he said he is. And as we watch these guys wriggle, they get to a point where they have to accept that what has happened has truly happened. So again, I want to say to you, as you look at your own life, perhaps you find Jesus unsettling, and so you find yourself wanting to wriggle out of his authority, wanting to find some loophole, wanting to find some way to escape his authority over your life. Perhaps he's not the son of God. Perhaps he's not that important. Perhaps he doesn't have any right over me. I mean, after all, it's my life. I'll do whatever I want. And we try to wriggle out of the authority of Jesus. Have you ever found yourself trying to do that? That's unbelief road. But when they find they can't wriggle out, it really takes quite a nasty turn. They call the blind man back in, and now it gets quite aggressive. A second time they summon the man. Right now they summon. Come here. They summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, now they're really ramping up the stakes. Give glory to God. 
You need to glory. You're, you're a blasphemer if you accept this man, Jesus. They're putting all the pressure on. There is massive hostility now on this road. The wriggling has given way to outright aggression and hostility. The man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So they say to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now look, they've now accepted the fact that Jesus opened his eyes. They're, now, they're not trying to wriggle out of it anymore. They know it's true. They just are going to refuse to believe it. They're going to refuse to accept what that obviously points to. And the man says, I've already told you, do you want to become his disciples too? And look at verse 28. Now they begin to hurl their insults at him. You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. And there begins to become this superiority, this anger, this hostility towards this man. And it climaxes as it goes on in verse 34 as they throw him out. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Listen to the hatred that comes on this unbelief road. Of course, this is the exact opposite of what Jesus said about the man. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This is not because of sin, but the religious leaders now, and I say, he's, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. There's no compassion. There's no kindness. Just outright hostility. An unbelief road leads to that hostility. And you still see that in the world today. People who just get so angry about Jesus. We must all, we, we've all seen this. I was um, speaking at a Christian union on Friday night on Zoom. Um, and they, the week before, had had something written in the student newspaper in the town talking about how bad the Christian Union were, how horrible they were, how they were just destroying people, and how it's terrible stuff just pouring out. And you go, why do people do that? Well, because there is a point at which unbelief turns into open hostility. And some of us experience that. Some of us experience that even from members of our own family, perhaps, or close friends who get to a point of just being openly hostile. That's unbelief working its way out. That's what happens as you walk along Unbelief Road. But now let's just see where Unbelief Road ends up. At the very end, Jesus then speaks to the Pharisees. He says this, verse 39, I've come so that the blind will see and so that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees, here they are again, who were with him, heard him say this and said, what, are we blind too? Why, why did they say that? Well, look, look, look what Jesus had said. He said, I've come so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. They go, okay, there's two options. The blind will see or the see will become blind. Which ones do I? Blind seeing, that sounds better than seeing becoming blind. We must be blind too. Jesus, are you calling us blind? He says, no. No. I'm not calling you blind. That's the whole problem. You think you can see. You claim you can see. You know this stuff. 
and yet you are unbelieving. You are refusing to believe. And Jesus says, now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You see, unbelief road ends up in a place of guilt, remaining guilt. It ends in a tragic place, a place of punishment, living under God's condemnation because you have refused to believe in the one he sent. Unbelief road is a devastating and a horrific road to walk. So I'd ask you this afternoon, do you see any of that in your heart? Unsettled, wriggling, hostile, leading to a remaining guilt? If you do, then I call you to change roads. We're going to look at Belief Road now. And believe me, this is much, much more beautiful. So come back now. Let's, we're, going to, we're now going to walk through the story again. Let's see this man come to believe. Let's see what belief in Jesus really would look like for you, for us, for all of us, as we think about what it means to respond rightly to Jesus. And it starts in this story in a place of wonder. You see, this man is clueless, right, at the start. I mean, bless his little heart. I mean, he's had a big day. It's been a lot has happened. But he is clueless about what's going on. So back at the end of last time in verse 12, they say, where is this man? They asked him, I don't know, he said. I don't know. But he's clueless in a very wonderful way. <laughs> he just keeps saying, um, the man they call Jesus put mud on my eyes. I went and washed and then I could see. And then someone else says to him, so what happened to you? Well, he put mud on my eyes, and I went and washed, and then I could see. And you can imagine him kind of every time he says it, not really being able to, just mind-blowing what's happened to him. He's so excited about this man. He doesn't understand anything about this man, Jesus. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he is. He just knows that he's done something amazing. And most people's journey of belief starts in that place. It doesn't start with a theology degree where you know all the answers to all the questions about who Jesus is. You just go, I don't know much, but this Jesus is amazing. They told me that he would forgive all my sin. They told me that when he died on the cross, it was for me. They told me that I could have all my guilt and shame taken away by this Jesus. They told me that I could live in light, not in darkness. Jesus has done all of that for me. It starts in a place of wonder. And I love the way the man, as he wonders, you see a progression in his understanding. Back in verse 11, he said, the man they called Jesus made some mud. But by uh, verse 17, when they say, what have you got to say about him? He says, he's a prophet. Do you see his eyes just beginning to open more? Yes, his physical eyes have been opened, but now we're watching his spiritual eyes being opened as he comes to believe this Jesus. This man, he's a prophet. As he goes through this process, his understanding becomes clearer and clearer. Starts in that place of wonder. Are you amazed at Jesus? Do you find him wonderful? I'm not asking, do you know all the answers to all the questions? Do you know all the stories? I'm not asking any of that stuff. I'm saying, has Jesus captivated your soul? Do you find yourself saying, I was blind, but now I see. I was in sin, but now I'm set free. I was dead, but now I'm alive. 
I was lost, but now I'm found. Do you have a sense of wonder at who this Jesus is? Because that's where belief starts. It starts with an encounter with the wonderful Jesus. And he will come and meet you in your need. In your blindness, in your darkness, he will come and meet you there. But as we watch this man go on, we watch his wonder turn into loyalty. Do you notice how loyal he is to Jesus? Despite all the pressure that he's under, even as as his parents won't stand up for this man. And it does beg the question, wasn't it? This man is begging, where were his parents in all of that? These parents who are more concerned about what the religious leaders think of them than about their own son and this miracle that's been done to him. This man is on his own. He's got no one backing him. He's got no one who agrees with him. He's got no one cheering him on going, yeah. All he's got is hostility. He's got his parents disowning him. He's got the religious leaders threatening to throw him out. And yet, this man will speak of Jesus. And so when the Pharisees say, give glory to God by telling the truth, we know this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I'm free. (laughs) Do you see? Again and again, he's like, I'm sorry, but this is what he did for me. I can't tell you much more, but I'm absolutely loyal to him. I'm sticking with him because of what he's done. You see, loyalty to Jesus, as you experience something of his wonderful grace, as you experience the touch of Jesus taking you from darkness to light, as you experience the joy of having your sin forgiven, it produces a loyalty to him that says, even if all around me would turn away, Jesus, I want to stick with you. I want to be loyal to you. This is the road of belief as wonder turns into loyalty. But do you see how his loyalty then grows? As his loyalty then becomes boldness. Boldness and courage. This is the road we're walking. Wonder, loyalty, boldness. So when they say to him, Verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Do you see he gets a little bit pushy? He's beginning to grow in his confidence about this man. Verse 27, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? See, he now seems to be identifying himself as a disciple. Oh, do you want to follow him as well? They get angry. They hurl insults at him. They accuse him of denying Moses. And in verse 30, you get this incredible statement. This bold statement from a man who really knows nothing and who was blind not very long ago. And he becomes the teacher of the teachers. The man said, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Do you hear how he now starts to preach? We know. 
Don't we, brothers, sisters? We know that God does not listen to sinners. Can I get an amen on that? Do we all agree on that? Yes, we all agree on that. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of the eyes of a man being man, uh, opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's preaching. He's really preaching a very clear sermon. And it is fascinating. Do you know there is no example of an eyes being opened, the eyes of a blind man being opened in the Old Testament. It's unheard of. There are plenty of miracles in the Old Testament, but not this one. Because this is such a spectacularly powerful picture of what Jesus came to do, that this is, the, this is where we see it. He is the eye-opening, light-bringing, promised Messiah. And this man is now preaching at the Pharisees. We know this. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. His boldness, his belief has grown into boldness as he walks this belief road. They throw him out. And then comes the final scene, this beautiful scene that Alice was pointing us to at the start. This man who's now been thrown out of the synagogue, shamed, rejected by the religious leaders, rejected by his community, now an outcast, an exile. And Jesus goes to find him. Because Jesus says, you're the one I've come for. I've come so that the blind may see. I've come to take people on that journey from blindness to sight. And so Jesus goes to find him, and he says to him, here's the key question. This is such a John question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That title, Son of Man, is picking up this idea of the Old Testament promises, that God had promised this one who would come the one who would bring light to the darkness, the one who'd open the eyes of the blind, the servant of the Lord that Isaiah spoke of, this, the son of man that Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel 7. Then I looked and I saw what looked like a son of man being led into the presence of God and he was given glory and dominion and sovereign power and all peoples of all nations worshipped him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the son of man? And the man's answer, verse 36, who is he, sir? Who's that? Tell me so that I may believe in him. This man's ready to believe. He's longing to believe. But you see, the thing is, he's never seen Jesus, right? Because when Jesus opened his eyes, he wasn't there. Jesus met him, put mud on his eyes, sent him to the pool and never saw him. So this man doesn't know what Jesus looks like. So he doesn't realize that he's talking to Jesus, he doesn't know that this is the man who healed him. It's a random stranger who's come up to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man's like, I'm desperate to. I don't know who he is. Please, would someone show me who, who this man is? I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. What a moment as this man realizes that this is Jesus. This is the one. This is the one who has opened his eyes and changed his life. And the man's response is so moving, isn't it? Lord, I believe. I believe. 
and he worships Jesus. He falls down before him and worships. This is where belief leads. Unbelief leads to this terrible place of guilt. It leads to living under God's condemnation. But as we come to believe in Jesus, instead we walk belief road and it leads to a place of worship where we fall down and we see Jesus and we say, it's you. It's all about you. Everything is about you. Lord, I believe. That is what John is writing his gospel. He wants us to get to that point. He wants us to say, don't walk down unbelief road. Instead, walk this road of belief. From wonder to loyalty to boldness to worship. To see Jesus for who he truly is. And do you know what? Jesus is still the one who is going out finding people and saving them. Jesus is still the one who's going out finding people in darkness, finding people in blindness, finding people who do not know and bringing them to himself. And that little phrase that they'd thrown this man out and this Jesus going to find him, went out to find him, is very reminiscent of that moment when Jesus will go out of Jerusalem to be led to a cross to die because it's as Jesus goes out of the city to die that he finds us. You see, Jesus, the light of the world, finds us by dying for us. As he pays the guilt that we deserve. He pays the punishment for what we have done. And that is why Jesus is the one who is able to say, will you believe in me? And you may say, but I could never do that. I'm too bad. I've done too many things wrong. No, no, Jesus came to find people like you. People like me. He came to find the people who are in darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you think you can see, if you think your life is sorted, if you think everything's under control, and if you think you're living in the light, you will never see Jesus. You'll be unsettled by him. Then you'll try to wriggle away from him. Then you will become hostile to him, and you will experience a guilt that remains forever. But if you know your darkness, if you know that you're blind, well, then Jesus is the one who will lead you by the hand on that road of belief to a place of worship. So just as we finish, I, I, I want you to take a moment and I want you to honestly examine your heart and say, which road are you walking today? Are you walking a road of unbelief or a road of belief? Do you know, I think it's very easy for us to give every impression that we're on the road of belief, every impression that we're following Jesus. Well, actually, in our hearts, our hearts are walking away from him. And this afternoon, I want to call you back. Don't walk that way. That is a way that leads to destruction and darkness. Come back to Jesus. Come say with the blind man, Lord, I believe and worship him. Do you believe in him? Are you believing in him today? You see, as we believe in him, we will know increasing loyalty and boldness and wonder. 
and worship. So why don't we bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is the promised light of the world. We thank you that Jesus is the one who came to those walking in darkness, and he is the great light. Thank you that Jesus is the one who takes us from blindness to sight. And Lord, we pray that we would walk this road of belief, that we would know wonder, loyalty, boldness, worship, as we trust him and as we follow him. But Lord, we confess that often our hearts want to turn away. Often our hearts find Jesus unsettling. Lord, please help us not to walk that road, not to walk a road of unbelief. And Lord, perhaps even for the first time this afternoon, would we turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We want to worship you. We want to fall before you in honor and wonder. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.